listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey, it's Scott, and welcome back to yet another episode of Spin Magazine's Lip Service. I'm coming to you from the heart of New York City today and from the studios of the fine folks at Noya House. On today's show, my next guest, you know him from such shows as Dexter, Six Feet Under. He's an amazing actor, and Dexter being one of the most popular shows for eight seasons. But what you may not know is that Michael C. Hall has a great band called Princess Goes to the Butterfly Museum. I know the name's a handful, but the band's great. I had the pleasure of seeing them in L.A. just a few months ago with my buddy Matt Pinfield at Zebulon in L.A. I hung out with the guys a bit. They've been selling out venues all over the country. It's good to have them here today. We'll get into everything from their history to Michael working with Bowie and Lazarus to what it's like going from a huge TV show and being a TV star to starting a band. Coming up in just a moment, Michael C. Hall, Peter Yanowitz on drums, and Matt Bowen on keyboards. Princess goes to the Butterfly Museum. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Our show today is brought to you by the fine folks at Thursday's Boot Company. You guys have seen me rocking these boots in every other picture I have on Instagram. I'm always repping them. Thursday's Boots is a bootstrap startup that makes the best handcrafted boots and sells them direct to consumer at some of the lowest markups in the footwear industry. Thursday's Boots tagline is highest quality, honest prices because they use some of the best materials like full grain leather, supple glove leather lining, and gold standard Goodyear welt construction. Thursday's Boot Company sells their boots at prices starting at just $149 with free shipping and returns. They've been featured in all the best fashion press from Esquire to GQ to Cosmo and Vogue. And more, more importantly, they've gotten over 20,000 five-star reviews from real. Thursday's boots are perfect for people who understand quality and don't want to pay a high retail markup for great-looking pair of boots that are built to last. So check them out at Thursday's Boots on Instagram. My favorite shoes, my favorite boots. You always see me repping them. You'll love it. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey, it's Scott Lips, and welcome back to yet another episode of Spin Magazine's Lip Service. I'm joined with the members of Princess Goes to the Butterfly Museum, Michael C. Hall and Peter. How are you guys? Really good. We're good. Thanks. Thanks for having awesome. Us. Peter, you're the drummer. Peter Yanowitz. Yep. And Michael, we're going to get into your whole history, how you guys met, the tour coming up, the record. Obviously, there's so much to talk about. And obviously, your David Bowie stories are incredible. So I can't forget those because I was telling you outside that I actually worked with uh, Amon for many years. So right. we probably share a few stories. But... I think your stories are way better than mine. Um, I had the pleasure of seeing you guys at Zebulon in LA. I think it was like a month ago with your manager, Michael, who's a great guy and a, a friend of mine for many years, with Matt Penfield. Great show. Love the show. Thanks. Tell me how you met. I think it was on the set of, uh, or actually in the production of Hedwig and Angry Inch. So how did that come about? Obviously, I want to get into your early days playing music, too. So Yeah, I did uh, Hedwig on Broadway for a spell. And... Peter was the drummer in the Angry Inch, the band, and that's how we met. And um, I mean, for me, that was actually my first in any legitimate sense uh, experience of fronting a band, and uh, I loved it. And um, and I got to know Peter, and we became friends, and we had the chance to play that music every night for a good amount of time. And then, um, yeah, Peter and Matt Katz Bowen. The uh, Phantom member. Matt, Matt will be calling in. We'll yeah, find yeah. Matt somewhere along oh, the yeah. way for sure. Okay, Matt. good. Uh, <laughs> uh, you guys knew each other from way back, but we're on the Hedwig tour, right? Yeah. After the Broadway show ended its run, we Matt and I went on the road for about eight months, and um, <clears throat> we'd stay in cities like LA for a month and San Francisco, and we just we were hanging out so much that we were like, let's hang out. When we get back to New York, we started, we, and we actually met up a bunch of times, started making music, and. We had about five or six instrumentals, and I think Mike and I had dinner, and I dragged him back to the studio one night just to play them some stuff, and Mike was like, hey, I noticed you guys don't have any vocals on this, and uh, you want to come Let's let's do. Let's give it a go. Yeah, but yeah. it's true that you've actually been singing your whole life. I mean, you've yeah, done a ton yeah. of Broadway since I, since I was a little kid. I mean, I was like a first soprano in the boys' choir, and uh, from there, yeah. I mean, I it, things didn't really. Um, go in that direction as far as like being in bands and and uh focused on the acting and kind of uh, went that route but uh yeah i've always done a lot of singing and um did I you mean, grow up around music was music a big part of your life not really i mean i mean the, the probably the most of the music i heard was probably like in church you know i went to church a lot when i was a kid and um but not you know 
enthusiastic celebratory church, more just kind of like turgid hymns. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was about it. I mean, I definitely, you know, I, 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 I like music. I listen to the radio. I listen to, you know, I listen to the top 40. I, listen, I, I would head home from church so I could listen to uh, Casey Kasem's top 40, and I wanted to get there at the beginning because all the good stuff was at the, uh, like, 35 through 40. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, but... I mean, when I when I uh, said suggested to Peter that I sing on stuff, I mean, it was just because I thought it would be fun. There was no like, no aspiration for it to be anything other than like a uh, something to do. And Peter, and, you've uh, been playing with like the Wallflowers and obviously your Morning Wood, right? And so, yeah. and uh, we'll talk about the fact that Matt is on tour with Blondie. Um, so there's this incredible history there with you know being on the road and playing and and i guess given your broadway background it just made sense after a while for you to just maybe you didn't think about being in a band initially but it just seems like all the you know the pieces fell into place yeah it seems like you know the hedwig thing was 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 um a, a chance to sing i think i think the 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 broadway stuff i've done I, you know singing in that kind of more legit broadway style never felt like a totally natural fit and in a way doing the hedwig stuff was more in sync with how you know whatever sounds I want to come out of my mouth, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then the Lazarus thing happened, the Bowie musical, and that was kind of a step, uh, like a shot in the arm, like maybe I have some sort of business uh, doing something like this. Um, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say because you brought it up, it's crazy. I mean, Michael, for you to sing David Bowie songs in front of David Bowie, yeah, that's got to be daunting. I mean, I can't imagine what yeah. that's like. I mean, when did you first meet him and? What was that like? Because, I mean, talk about being nervous. Like, yeah. I've had uh, Steven Tyler came to see me play drums once, and I almost couldn't play. Right. Singing in front of David Bowie his own songs feels like it would be fairly daunting. It was insane. It was um, It was the first time I met him. I had the job, technically, but I hadn't met him. He'd sort of um, allowed other members of the creative team to vouch for me, but I didn't feel like I officially had the job until that day. He came to the music director's apartment in the East Village. Um, I know he came through the door, but it seems like he just kind <laughs> of appeared in the room, right. you know, uh, out of the mist. Um, he is—he uh, is a bit mystical. Yeah, sure. totally. Yeah, and um, yeah, I mean, I've said it before, but I did have to, I think, turn off a part of my brain to to just, uh, you know, just like it's just a hologram. It's not really him, you know. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, we we exchanged pleasantries he was incredibly like gracious and nice and like thanking me for doing the job you know and it was it was all kind of crazy but uh was there an audition process you had to go through to, to no it was kind in? of i mean i i i knew uh about the project and i'd met with the director and i kind of put a word in for myself even though it was a top secret project that i wasn't even supposed to know about and Luckily, I was doing Hedwig at the time, so I think my audition, in a way, was Hedwig. It was like a really, really well-produced, very glamorous audition, oh, uh, at least at least for Ivo Van Hove, the director. Yeah. And uh, and um, but you know, after we exchanged some pleasantries, it was time to sing through the songs, and there were like seven songs that I was going to sing in the show. And um, the music director suggested we do "Where Are We Now" first um, from. Uh, the next day, and um, I up to that point had been keeping it together. But once once Henry Hay, the music director, started playing the opening bars of the song, I just I was like, oh god, what what is <laughs> happening? I, my stomach just like tied into a knot, and uh, yeah, I can't imagine and, and, singing and in and front of him. Yeah, and and he was sort of in my peripheral vision, sitting on the couch, smelling amazing, <laughs> um, and. Uh, he said, "Yes, now sing my songs for me." He said, you know, <laughs> and "I think he 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 could appreciate what an absurd situation it was, and yeah. it really put me at ease." I started the song, and by the time I got to the end, I heard him singing the ooze that he'd orchestrated for the version that we were going to do in the show. And I looked, and he had his eyes closed, and he was like singing the backing thing. Amazing. That he, and, I was, and I thought, you know, I don't have to be nervous uh from this point forward at any juncture in this production no matter who we perform it for where we perform it this is this, this is, is it the, this, this is, is the, the most nerve-wracking <laughs> right. it's gonna get and uh it's funny because i re-watched uh some of the videos from black star i think maybe this morning or yeah. last night and it's almost a little uncomfortable to watch because you know that he knows he's like at the end of his yeah. career and dying and and uh and they kept it very quiet obviously but when you watch those i mean it's 
it's almost just like prophecy where he know. I mean, the video to Lazarus even, right? Where oh he yeah. has the tape on his eyes. And I mean, <coughs> he was always such a visionary. Yeah. Um, so to watch that is, is a bit difficult for me. And it always has been, but, but such a great record. And, you know, yeah. I, some of my favorite records he did actually, I was thinking about the Trent Reznor collaboration he did some years back too, and, and so incredible. But taking it back to the beginning for all of you, I mean, when you think about New York and you think about rock bands, I mean, obviously Interpol, yeah, 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 the Strokes being one of the biggest. I mean, is it a little bit daunting when you think about coming from a huge TV career and then getting into kind of starting a new band, even though these guys have incredible, you know, a history of, of playing in, in uh, amazing bands? Mm -hmm. Is that concept daunting to start a rock band out of New York? Because really people move to L.A. like we were just sharing pictures of my... Uh, <laughs> my my hair metal days right yeah. back in the day but back back then that's where you used to you know you'd move to LA and whenever it was 87 a lot of bands now moved to Nashville mm. there's still not like a super vibrant you know rock scene in New York so when you think about forming a band even though it was sort of done on a whim and you already knew each other it's a little bit daunting to be like we're gonna you know being a rock band not even a rock band I guess it's sort of a you have so many influences from Justice to Bach to you know Depeche Mode, right? There, there's a ton of uh, really unique uh, influences there. But the concept of playing music and starting a band in New York right now, was it sort of like we're just going to do it and not think about it? Or did you just want to jump in and see where it went? I think anytime you start a new band or a new creative project, and you know, there's always that nervousness of like, are people going to like it? You know, or, you know, you're sticking your neck out and, you know, you're just sort of asking for eyes and ears, you know. But I, I think the way, like, as Mike just said, like the organic way that the band started, we avoided some of that awkwardness just because the band sort of sprung out from under us. It, was, it wasn't like this real thought out, you know, thing that we had put all this, you know, like, hey, let's start a band and we'll be like this and this is the what we'll wear and this is what we'll play. <laughs> it was just sort of like we had a whole record and we were like, I guess we're a band now. We should probably think of a name and maybe even do a show. Like it, it started to occur to us late. So we, we were able to avoid some of that just like, those things that happen when you're starting a band, but also, you know, being at this particular juncture in our lives, I think at, at this age too, to start a band is extra kind of <laughs> right. weird. Yeah. Right. Like to be an, a brand doing? new older <laughs> band, it's yeah. a weird, it's a weird thing. I think we try not to, to really think about it. But as far as New York goes, like, I don't know, I, I, uh, I've lived here for almost 30 years and I feel like it's a great place to start a band too, and I do feel like there's you know a great scene of, of cool young artists coming. I mean, maybe not like what it used to be, and maybe LA is and Nashville are always going to be like more music cities, I guess. But New York still has there's still stuff going on here that I think is pretty cool. But the first few gigs you played, the, there was only what like one or two songs that were actually out, right? And so what was the not audience? Even. Yeah, not even. I so. mean, yeah, our first couple or few gigs were maybe even more than a few that we hadn't released anything. So in a way, the fact that it was in New York and it was kind of like we were able to keep it um, underground without even trying just because, I mean, the gig was literally underground in a club <laughs> in Berlin. It was in a basement Berlin, somewhere. Yeah, yeah, it was in the basement in <laughs> Berlin uh, um, on uh, 2nd Street and Avenue A in, in the East Village. And, you know, we didn't want to uh, put the cart ahead of the horse or whatever, whatever the expression um, Generally, we didn't want to do that. We also didn't want to do it because, you know, people know I'm an actor and it's it's sort of a, generally speaking, dicey or cheesy enough proposition to think, oh, it's an actor band. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we just wanted to, the, to keep following the music and let it lead. Definitely. And, and influence-wise, it's interesting, right, if you look at your bio, because everyone has these bios that are always very funny when I kind of repeat them back to them. It's like Black Sabbath, Giorgio Moroto, and Bach, and Justice, right? And actually, ironically enough, there's almost no guitar, if any. I don't think there's any guitar on any of the music that's out, right? So Black Sabbath always seems, it's an interesting kind of influence. Were you all listening to the same kind of music, or did you all have, I mean, Radiohead seems to be a common thread. I, w I would imagine when I listen to your music and <coughs> seeing you live, I feel like you all are fans of Radiohead, correct Absolutely. me if I'm wrong. Absolutely. Never heard of them. <laughs> but that feels like an <laughs> obvious one of a band that, you know, yeah. I, and, and I, you know, you can't deny the Bowie, you know, when, when yeah. you, your vocals are so powerful when you see live and, and, you know, not a bad thing to have, uh, you know, the Bowie influence run through the music. So. Right. I think, I mean, I think we have pretty disparate influences, but I do think we're all more or less children of the 80s. So I think there's, there's something 
about that era that, that infuses our collective sensibility without us really talking about it. I mean, we never talk about how <laughs> right. we want to sound, who right, we right. want to sound like or anything. But there is some sort of just um, in terms of our ability to kind of work uh, collaboratively and in terms of our sensibility, there is some sort of pretty, pretty good sizable intersection mm. of sensibility. When you first get together as a band, obviously let's talk about the name, but as far as I know, you all had these nicknames, like Kaleidoscope, <laughs> Storm High. Have, have you ditched the names or the Dreamweaver or those names? Uh, and what was the concept no, behind that, really? I was that uh, like an internal thing or was that something that was sort of uh, put out there to the public? Well, you know how Beyonce has Sasha Fierce? You know, it's her like alter ego. Actually, I didn't know until you, I mean, I remember it now, but yeah, I didn't remember like, it. Yeah. I, I'm a Virgo. I think as a common Virgo thing where you, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's ridiculous. We gave each other nicknames. I think we each named, like, each other, and they. It was just like I don't know. When you're starting a band, you sort of feel like you're starting a gang, so it sort of went in there. I mean, it sounds ridiculous to talk about, but yeah, <laughs> I still call Mike Callie a lot and Matt Storm. Yeah, yeah okay. just like. It's just in my phone. I was driving uh, in the car <laughs> with uh, my wife in the passenger seat, and that you know that Storm Rider comes up or something. Yeah, well, well, the the Google or the the Apple CarPlay thing said, message from Storm Eye and Dreamweaver. <laughs> <laughs> and Morgan looked at me like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's an internal thing, more or less, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, you know. And the name of the band is interesting, right? Because it, it actually came about from, I believe it was like Matt's daughter or something, That's right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So how did that come about? Because it's, it's, it's an interesting concept, like having a, she said, it, like, if I had a band, this yeah. would be the name of my band. I think. I think. Yeah. It was like it coincided with uh, the time where we were like, "Oh, are we a band? We <laughs> should book a gig. We should. We should come up with a name." And we were trying to figure out what that might be. And yeah, she said one day, "I think uh, I'm going to start a band one day." And Matt asked her what the name would be, and she said, "Princess Goes to the Butterfly Museum." <laughs> and he said, "Can I steal that?" And By the way, you're eight. You shouldn't be permission. starting a band. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think she was like, what, five? Six? Yeah, she was oh, five. Okay. She or yeah. five. Yeah. Yeah. E even better. But yeah, she graciously just gave the name to us. She's like, you can use it. And uh, <laughs> and then several people tried to talk us out of using yeah, that yeah. as a name. Uh, and, you know, I think the exact quotes were like, hey, yeah, if you if you choose that name, a lot of people aren't going to check you out. They're just yeah. not going to, like, in, you know, investigate your music. So we were like, ah. yeah, we did try to change it. And it just Let's never see. nothing ever stuck, you know, better than Princess. It, it seemed to fit the music that we were making having seen you live I, it definitely fits for sure but initially I, I, yeah it took some, a minute to sort of understand it almost sounds like an album title um it definitely could be an album title which you know but but talk about it, you know michael you have so much on your plate obviously deaths are just finished uh i don't know if there'll be a spin-off because you know there could be you never know i mean i'm not sure but the way that it ended i guess right. there's so many possibilities and, and ways and directions it could go Six Feet Under, Dexter, a lot on your plate. So when you're starting a band like this, obviously, are you thinking, like, I have to squeeze in the touring with my shooting schedule? Or, again, does it feel like everything's just organic the way yeah, you wing everything? Yeah, just taking it as it comes. You yeah. know, I, 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 it's, uh, I mean, now we're at a point where we are kind of thinking in the future to, to some degree and making touring plans, and I certainly... But I don't know. I mean, there's a lot... A lot has been on my plate, yeah. but, uh, but at the moment... Um, you have time to do this. I have, I, yeah, I, I have time to do this, and um, and I love it. It's 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 um, like one of the most um, surprising developments in my life. Yeah, you know, it's something that I, you know, it's true for I think all three of us. Not as we've said, not, none of us really planned on, and uh, we're just kind of trying to catch up to it. Sometimes those happy accents are the best kind, right? Yeah. So take me back to like 2020. You play this gig. The pandemic is, it's like the day before, the day after the this announcement's made. And it's billed as the last show ever, which um, <laughs> obviously it wasn't. But uh, at the time, mm. what was going through your head and when you were thinking like, we're going to use this downtime to write a record and, you know, everyone's going to be locked at home anyway. We didn't really know back then. I always make these jokes and I was talking about it the other day. You remember when we were like wiping down the groceries and like the bananas or the apples? I mean, I'm not sure if anyone got, you know, COVID from a banana or a cereal box. But at the time I was like diligently wiping down my groceries. So that time in particular, no one knew what was going on. So to build this as like, you know, the last show ever. Right. It could have been. 
But uh, what was going through your minds when you sort of started to play out in New York and, and that happened and we were all literally locked down for a couple years? I think it was billed as the last show a little bit after the fact. I mean, w we did become aware, I guess, that night that everything was shutting down. And, um, you know, it was a, uh, nobody knew, not that anybody knows what the hell's going on now, but nobody <laughs> right. knew what was happening in a different way then. Um, and, yeah, we were just um, hoping people would show up as much as anything because, because people were, um, you know, we'd done a gig there that was completely packed probably uh, a couple months before that or a month and a half, and, and we're wondering if uh, we would have a crowd. We did. I think there were some people who probably were scared off, and in hindsight, maybe that was uh, wise of them. But uh, I remember literally when that announcement was made, it was whatever day it was in March, like I had a guy that was working with me literally like ran home. Like I never saw him again, ever. I've since <laughs> oh man. I've never seen this guy. Casualty. Um, yeah, I mean, people just started, you know, as we all did for a moment, they're panicking. But also you had this great opportunity to write music and, <coughs> and obviously, you know, the EP, the record. So during this downtime, were you getting together? Were you sharing files? I mean, there was that period, like we spoke about, where no one was seeing each other. So were you all getting together, like safely or whatever it may be at the time? Yeah, we luckily had the project was, you know, we had uh, had an, a previous year or two of just working and writing in the studio. Uh, we have a little studio near Union Square. And so we'd already been involved in just promote, you know, getting as much music going as we could and following every lead on every idea that we had. So when the when the when the pandemic hit full force, we just we were supposed to actually go out to LA and work with Dave Catching at the Rancho de la Luna. And, All right. and we were maybe gonna make a completely different desert rock electronic princess EP, you know, with <laughs> Dave. And we were really excited about that, but then that got blown out and we we were like, well let's just keep going with what we're doing and you know we we produced self-produced our own EP so like let's let's pull together these songs and make some new ones this year and it, it became this just incredible opportunity to keep each other focused, stay creative during a really weird, scary time in New York and also just all of a sudden this you know, you start building a record like one song at a time and all of a sudden this beautiful like record came together that only could have happened during that year and, and a lot of songs came out that year and summer that we'd had, you know, been working on before the pandemic. So it was just lucky for us that we, yeah, we would send each other files, we would get together. Sometimes Michael would send a vocal on his cell phone that he would just sing into it and we'd just put that straight into Pro Tools and those cell phone vocals ended up on the record. It was just one of these things where we felt like everything we were touching was like sort of working. So it was like It's weird. amazing how good you can get vocals to sound on an iPhone in a woodshed. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Do you ever go in a room and just rehearse? I mean, I, because obviously these records are made, I think, at your studio with your headphones and um, your neighbors must love you, I guess. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> but uh, I heard you have one neighbor that's like a poet that is like reciting lyrics or something. Yeah, something I think yeah. she right? might be, uh, actually be on the next uh, record. Really? She, she yeah, came in and, she's and from Columbia. Yeah, she's, she's our biggest fan. She'll like, <laughs> if other neighbors complain, she'll go and like knock on their door and be like, it's Peter. She doesn't need to go to the shows because she can hear it between the walls. Yeah. Right? She's a little agoraphobic, <laughs> but she, she's, she comes over and... She loves Princess. But yeah, we'd yeah. get together periodically, and some th songs emerged in the studio. Some songs we maybe put together based on component parts that we'd shared. Um, it, it, that happened all kinds of ways. But yeah, we would periodically, and more and more as the pandemic went on, get together and try to realize things in the room that were maybe some sort of Frankenstein thing up yeah. to that point. Definitely. And is there new music that you're working on now? Because obviously there's a tour coming up in July that we'll get into. It's exciting. It's like, I don't know if it's eight or nine cities, and you end in your hometown, I believe. In Raleigh, North Carolina. In Raleigh, North Carolina, right. which is really exciting for you guys. Um, but yeah, let's talk about it. There's new, because you're constantly creating music, right? So is there a new record that you're actually working on now to come out sometime this year or next year? Yeah, we have a full record mixed and mastered that's ready to go, and then now we just started mixing a follow-up to that. So we... We're, we're You're gonna have like nine records. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> we are. We love. We love making stuff, and the studio has been a great just play playground for us. But I think uh, being in bands, I don't know. You probably know from your past and being in bands, like you write a record, and then it's like, oh shit, we got to write the second record, and it can be pretty daunting to to just be like, okay, we're writing the second record now. It, it really just even saying that it's there's this thing that gets put on stuff. But if you I think our thing is let's stay ahead. Let's stay a couple records ahead, so we never have this like sophomore slump or yeah. you know 
And, and you know how it is being creative. It's, you just want to keep the energy going because if you drop it, it can, you can actually forget how to write a song. You'd no be like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, well, I think it's great. I mean, now that things are opening back up, there are so many shows happening, and I think the tour will be great for you guys. I mean, Michael, do you ever go into this, like, dark place lyrically? Obviously, the TV show, you've always been on these shows that are, like, associated with, like, death and, you yeah. know, murder. And, I mean, I, I can't imagine that lyrically it doesn't seep into your brain a little bit because I – at some point, you probably there's like art imitates life, and I I feel like I listened to interviews with you where you were like, I went home that day and I sort of thought what I was doing was okay because I did it on TV, whatever it may be. Uh -huh. And so, do you draw <laughs> from that lyrically? I mean, is it? I mean, it, it's got to be a weird headspace to be in when you're playing like a serial killer. I imagine. Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't have that explicitly uh, in mind. <laughs> yeah. You know, I I think you know whatever is happening lyrically is more, at least as I conceive of it about what what I'm thinking, not um, any sort of character I've played, but, you know, uh, it, it all goes into the mix, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and um, I can't, um, I can't deny that, that um, death in one form or another has been a component of uh, a lot of what I've done. Actually, the first day I met uh, Bowie, he asked me, I, I, I mentioned someone I knew in common, and I was working on a movie. He said, what's the movie about? It's like, it's about a woman who shoots herself on television. And he <laughs> said, what's it with you and death? <laughs> and yeah. I said, I don't know, man. <laughs> well, it is, uh, I mean, is, is it hard to put that away when you, when you are filming a show like Dexter, when you get home at night? Can I you compartmentalize that and be like, that's just my job, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not like, oh man, I killed all those people. <laughs> oh no, no, I didn't, I didn't, I'm fine, I'm fine. Uh, no, no there was I like a vigilante aspect to the show, yeah. right? Where it's sort of like I don't know. I mean, it's cathartic. I'm yeah. glad that I've found outlets to simulate that kind of crazy behavior. It probably tempered uh, tempered my my real life exploits, and uh, I don't know. It's nice to be able to ritually sort of exercise your demons or um, or um, do away with. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, whatever you might, in a less healthy way, try to do away with. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> interesting, though. I mean, I, I would have a hard time putting that away at night for sure. Right. Um, that was my Halloween costume, by the way, this year. So I, oh, I'll, cool. I'll show you the picture. Well, yeah, what did, you, what did you? I was. I wore the you know the apron with the knife. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was okay. the kill you. suit. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I had no idea I'd be meeting you. It's a kind of a weird, right. ironic twist to everything. <laughs> but um, are you sad that the show's ended? I mean, obviously, I'm sure you'll have a lot of other projects coming up. How do you feel about the show? And no. Yeah, do you feel like you know it, it could possibly come back? Or you know, how do you feel about it? I mean, point? you know, I've learned to say never say never um about anything but um you know i think the show ended in a pretty definitive way in that final reboot season so i i you know i'm not i don't have any uh calendar dates marked where i'm going <laughs> right. to pretend to be that guy anymore there's um, not a six feet under reboot two number no <laughs> no um, three feet under i don't know there could be the i <laughs> i uh i feel proud of the 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 whole of it, and I'm glad that we went back and 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 revisited the character and gave the show a sort of ending that it that it needed. I think, um, but I don't know. It's kind of nice to be uh, released. Yeah, because that's a grueling schedule. We were talking about the fact that you you were filming around Sunset and Gower Studios, which yeah. is where I literally live. Uh, not to give away my address on the show, but <laughs> I do live quite close to there, and so. It's a different kind of thing. Now you're going on the road. You're in a van, possibly, or a tour <laughs> bus. I'm not sure which one you're in. Which would it be a van or a combination sprinter of van so a sprinter far. van? Okay, yeah. and we've all done that. We've done like yeah. the sprinter van. We've had the tour bus. We've done. I've done like the cheap flights. I, my band used to get mad at me because I would just like pay the hundred dollars to take like an easy jet fly, and they're like, "Why don't you, you know, come on the bus with us?" I'm like, "I can't sleep. My head's hitting against the thing." Um, but it, but it's it's a strange life, right? So you've you've yeah. led all these different lives. At this point, you have literally nine lives, right? So right. when you're out there on the road and you're and you're really grinding and you're playing the crowds that love you, and obviously a lot of momentum. We're on the Spin Magazine, you know, lip service podcast. Tons of momentum. <laughs> um, no, um, but I mean, is it a different life you when you've you've led all these lives in the sense of been on a very successful TV show, a few, um, yeah, and now you're doing this? Uh, it's yeah, it's totally different. I mean. Yeah, I, when I go, when we've gone on tour, I'm like, I'm living the dream. It's yeah. the dream of a 21-year-old, but yeah. uh, it's a dream. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's it's um, it's fun. I mean, it, just just um, 
but I've done long runs of shows like I did with Peter, you know, doing the same show every night, eight times a week. Headwake, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, um, and other theatrical productions and the grind of a TV schedule. But, yeah, there's something definitely unique about touring and, and um, love-hate relationship with the logistical realities of it. You know, it's like every morning you wake up and you're tied to the train tracks again <laughs> waiting to get <laughs> run over. And the only time you get relief is when the train is running you yeah. over. You know? I always say it's like, it's what do you do the other 23 hours of the day? The hour on yeah. stage is great. Yeah. But it's like, how do you kill? My band members used to sleep till like four in the afternoon. And I take one of those tour buses through every city because I like history and I like going to wherever. I'm in Austin and I take the double-decker tour bus but it's interesting just taking those tourist buses and learning about the history of cities but those other guys would sleep till four i'm like i've never slept till 4 p.m my entire <laughs> life I, I don't even know how you do that um but do you go out and explore the cities because you're hitting like i think in july we're ta we'll talk about it but chicago nashville detroit atlanta baltimore like what do you do to occupy the days are you out there doing stuff during the days you're not sleeping in the sprinter van obviously so not really yeah, we're either flying. I mean, we do a little bit of flying, too, just yeah. if it's a longer drive on a day of a show. But a lot of times we're driving to the next show. and But, yeah, when you're in a city like Austin or, you know, Nashville, you want to go out. And we usually try to find a good restaurant. We, we like hanging out together. You, you actually like each other, which is we great. We actually like yeah, each other. So, so far, so, um, yeah, so, yeah, far so good. Right? Not a lot of drama in yeah. this band. But, and there's I also three of us, so it's yeah. it's pretty pretty cool. We got a, a good crew and, um, you know. I think, but you're right, it is about that one hour, and, and I feel like we're, this year we've been able to tour and to find out who our audience actually is. Yeah. And that, that's been kind of mind-blowing to us, just to show up to these cities. We're still relatively under the radar as a band, but then we show up and our shows are selling out, and there's these fans that are sometimes screaming louder than the music that we're playing on stage, so it's kind of like something weird is happening that's, again, out of it's out of our hands a yeah. little bit. So. So that one hour a day kind of sets you up for the other 23. Like it almost is enough of a love fest that you can, you, you just trudge through the rest of it, you know? No, the shows are selling out everywhere, and that's what Michael and I were talking about. I mean, there's not a show that hasn't sold out yet at Sony, but I was watching you in this, on your Instagram, this, uh, like in the van, like eating chips at a <laughs> you know, truck stop, and I was thinking, I've done that before. Right. I know what that's like. So, it, But, it, you know, I also wasn't on uh, two hit TV shows. So, I, you know, it's, uh, right. it's got to be strange, but uh, but, you know... We've all had different paths in life, so it's interesting that you're doing this now. And, and obviously, it's such a great band. Ketamine, the remix EP, uh, just came out. Well, let's talk about that for a moment. And the song, you know, the meaning behind Ketamine. I'm imagining that you didn't do a lot of Ketamine growing up, but uh, you never know. I mean, maybe, maybe no, you did, Peter. It's, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. It's, it's, done it. um, <laughs> I've never done it. It's, it's a song, lyrically, was at least inspired by an experience I have doing, uh, had doing Ketamine therapeutically in a, in a doctor's office uh, with my then girlfriend now now wife um and um it's about having um had a, a a trip um alongside someone um who i was at least aware enough was having a very different trip mm. what's and that like by the way it's got to be it's like it's like ketamine the yeah. song it's like <laughs> those lyrics i mean it's like it's like a a sense of you know, wanting to go on your own ride, but but aware that this person you're connecting to is on a very different one, and um, I guess I guess maybe it is a sort of distillation of a part of what it's like to be in a relationship. You know, are you having? Could you not have a bad trip if you're sitting in a very controlled environment? No, you can still you go can to a, a dark you know, place. A dark yeah. place. Um, I imagine your brain goes to very dark. Given what you, no, mine <laughs> was mine was actually really, really uh, pretty surprisingly shiny and uh, shimmering, um, <laughs> but uh, but hers was a little darker. And so that was the inspiration. Now the song is yeah. remixed. You had like four artists actually yeah. remix the song. That was, um, I think, that was your idea to. Yeah, we I were in Europe, and I was just, I think, actually, somebody mentioned, like, hey, you guys should do a remix. And, and, and I was thinking about our songs. Ketamine seemed like a real open-ended song where there's not a lot going on, so it felt like a good one. And then, you know, you turned me on to the Armed uh, Ultra Pop, and we just reached out to them on Instagram, and they wrote right back saying, like, yeah, we don't really like doing remixes, but th we love this song. We'll give it a go. And it just like, sort of happened like that. But yeah, we got four four really different versions, and um, yeah, and uh, yeah, I've done ketamine a couple times just recreationally. Yeah, 
snorted it and wow. it's really intense really. it's like horse tranquilizer right yeah really it's like i mean i've done acid and mushrooms but ketamine like to me it it did something that none of those other psychedelic crazy drugs do it it really i've done some recording on it too i wouldn't recommend it it's <laughs> yeah. but it's you wouldn't play thing. live on it it could oh, be a god really no, bad, no. no it could be a bad but experience. i have recorded on it and it's yeah. done some interesting uh some interesting things i'm too much of a control freak so i feel like that's something i would have no i mean mushrooms are like it, it feels like nothing when i've done them but I don't. I never really do. Other well, you're a drummer, right? You can't, can't really do much yeah, when you you're drumming. Yeah. Otherwise, nothing. Yeah, it's hard to keep time when you're taking something that it kind of takes you out of time. Yeah. It is. It is. We were talking about electric drums before, and just the approach of like living in an apartment and playing drums, and the fact that being in New York, it's so hard to really, you know, work on your craft unless you go to studios. So, do you ever feel like uh, being in New York, it's like different than if you lived somewhere else and were making records? Because obviously, you're in this controlled environment here. Yeah, I still love it making music here. Um, it's to me, uh, you know, everybody talks about on oh, New York, it used to be cool, or it's New York sucks. That's no, still mean, the coolest place. To me, in the world. this there's still like this idea that your life can literally change around the next corner just because you might run into someone, or you might have one of those weird nights where you go out and like literally your life changes because of the people you met. Yeah, it's still one of those places, but and, and I was walking around the other day and it's just like thriving right now. There's so many people out and like young people, and it feels like kind of like. It hasn't really changed that much, even though, yeah, it has changed a lot. Yeah. I agree. And I was going to talk to Matt about his experience in Blondie and Cindy Lauper and your experiences in the Wallflowers, which I didn't know that you played with in Morningwood. How is it different than being in this band? And obviously, Michael, this is your first band, but we talked about your past and such a, an amazing history there too. It's yeah, I've been a I've been a band guy pretty much my whole, you know, musical life, starting in the Wallflowers, um, back in the early '90s, and. Uh, and I just was attracted to that like idea that oh if I'm in a band that means I'll automatically have friends because you know being growing up in Utah I was Jewish I, I didn't didn't have a lot of friends you know I was sort of on the outside of most things there so getting in a band in Utah was like for the first time I felt like this brotherhood and um, and then you know I've been in a lot of bands like the Wallflowers and Morningwood but it's weird like. I felt like I was done with being in bands. I just felt like I'd, I'm kind of old now. And like, <laughs> I did Hedwig with Mike, and that immediately woke me up. I was like, oh shit! Like, I've really been missing this, like playing in a band every night, or and being with being with friends. And then this band kind of just sprung out. And so I think it's weird. I don't know. They, you know, the universe like saved the best for last. You know, this Definitely. band has like been as long as it goes, as much music as we make, it, every second of it has been like really, really rewarding and fun. Yeah, amazing. And Michael, there are other film projects coming up and TV projects that you have nah. slated? Now this is it. This is uh, yeah. I mean, ready, you set, know, something will Something will happen. I haven't yeah. completely forsaken my uh, day job. but uh, Would you do Broadway again if it came up? Is it something that you love doing? Sure, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I, I've never... I've never known what was ha going to happen next. That's a part of what's great and s slash maddening about you know being an actor or being in show business more broadly. Um, but uh, I wouldn't change it, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm sure there are some really cool things that I can't tell you about because I don't know about them yet, and probably some not so cool things <laughs> right. that I wish I had a crystal ball and could tell you about so that I wouldn't do. But <laughs> you know, we'll see. Definitely. Well, the tour kicks off July. I'm excited. Love to see you guys again. Zebulon, the show is amazing. Princess goes to the Butterfly Museum. I love you guys. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for being here. And uh, follow everyone Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. The EP Ketamine remix just came out. What else do we need to plug? There's so much to plug, right? It's like, well, the tour really being the most. Yeah, you know, thing shows that uh, just shows the next six months. Yeah. yeah, we got a bunch of videos up on the YouTube channel. Yeah, sure. and the new record, Fun. which will, you know, the the five new records, like apparently, <laughs> yeah, that are yeah, coming the out. I guess, right, definitely. And Michael, like, uh, hopefully they'll be. You never know. Again, like I said, it could be a uh, season nine that we don't know about. You could come <laughs> back from the dead. Who knows? You know. Um, but uh, looking forward to seeing you on the screen and definitely seeing the band again. And I'll come with Michael. I, I love your manager, a great guy. And thanks for being here. I really appreciate yeah, it. Thanks, thanks for you. having thanks us. Thanks for taking the awesome. time. Thank you. Appreciate Cheers. it. Thanks. This is Lips LA. That was awesome. Princess goes to the Butterfly Museum. Matt Catsbone was on the road with Blondie at the time we did this. So, truth be told, we tried to stitch it all up, but uh, we have a few minutes with Matt that we're going to add to the end of this interview so you could check out some insight from him, how he met the guys, and his life in music. So stay tuned for the next episode. Appreciate you tuning in. Coming to you now 
a few minutes with Matt Katz-Bowen, Princess Goes to the Butterfly Museum, and speak to you soon. Thanks for tuning in, as always. This is Lips LA. Call on in from New York City, because you're not at the uh, in-person interview we did, but Matt Katz-Bowen, how are you, my brother? I'm really good. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing great. Great to see you. You're on the road with Blondie, so obviously we understand why you weren't joining us initially, but uh, we're trying to make this work. How was the tour, by the way? Um, the Blondie tour was great. Yeah, we played the Cruel World Festival with Devo and Bauhaus, like we were just talking about. And um, yeah, it's incredible. Just uh, thousands of people every night. Beautiful. It's funny. I didn't realize that you played that. I was just talking about it, and I was doing a deep dive on the Cruel World Fest when I was checking out, as I mentioned, you Morrissey and I think, uh, was it the Violet Femmes maybe and um, Devo and some great bands. So how is the festival overall? Are there, are there certain acts to you that really held up super well that are incredible still and certain bands that didn't resonate with you as much when this is like 30 years later now? Um, I saw Bauhaus, Devo and Morrissey and um, you know, I, I, they were incredible. I mean, Bauhaus was was just so goth and so dark. Devo, they were running around like maniacs. And, you know, Mark was really sick with COVID. Oh. Um, yeah, he was like bad, like in a coma. And he's just like running around the stage going crazy like a maniac. It was a beautiful experience. Amazing. So, and, and let's talk about your band, by the way. So obviously we're going to get into your history and how you met Michael and how you met Peter and and the members of Princess Goes to the Butterfly Museum. But before that, you seem to play with everyone. Obviously, Boy George, so I want to talk a little bit about that. Cindy Lauper, and, and your time now with Blondie, when you're not on the road with, you know, Princess. Uh, I want to shorten the name, because if not, I could, uh, you know, it's, it's a ton of I do it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you're not on the road with Princess, I mean, what's it like touring with a band like Blondie versus a band that has a buzz and emerging like Princess and being in a newer act versus an, an iconic rock band that's been around for ages? Um, you know, it's, it's kind of the same. It's kind of super different as you would expect. Um, the energy is still there. The energy is still vital in Blondie and in Princess, you know, Debbie is a big fan of Princess. So she's been to a lot of our shows and, um, she's helped us out. You know, she's, she's carried drums. I think she gets that a, a kick out of being our roadie, you know, like, give me something to carry. And then uh, I give her that's a, a great set. TikTok video, by the way, that the world needs to see, like Deborah Harry, like carrying the drums, like roading for a minute. <laughs> I know. Next time. Yeah. Next show, I got to get her on video doing that. And she actually loaded up her car. Um, I think it was the show before the pen, just before the pandemic hit. We and uh, she actually drove us. So she was also our driver, which is pretty sweet. Amazing. Uh, but yeah, she I love her. And yeah. And in terms of the venues, I mean, you're playing a festival like Crow World or, you know, for Michael and, and Peter, we were chatting about, you know, Michael obviously is coming from this incredibly successful television and film career. And he's essentially, you know, you're starting this rock band you started a few years back and, you know, you're doing sold out, the tour is sold out everywhere, but it's, it's smaller rooms. So to go from, you know, starring in Dexter, where you have probably millions of fans all over to kind of a grassroots tour, it's a different experience. You know, I saw there was a, a video that, he posted just kind of touring in the van and, you know, what it's like. Actually, people don't sometimes realize what it's like to do those van tours. They're quite grueling, you know, in the beginning. So which do you prefer? I mean, do you prefer the intimacy of a newer act or do you prefer playing these festivals or, or both, I guess? Um, you know, completely, completely different animals, completely different phenomena. Um, I mean, I've played shows with Blondie or with Debbie that are there's just like, two or 300 people, like the Cafe Carlisle, for example, we did that. And then we've played shows with Princess, you know, there'll be a thousand people like in a theater in Denver, Colorado, which felt like, felt like a massive event. So, um, you know, it, it's always just different. I mean, even playing for two people can be incredibly nerve wracking. You know, if, if they're two people you really care about and I try to, care about the audience and you know they're there to have a beautiful experience so it's almost easier to play for you know forty thousand people because it's just this mass you don't you don't actually see anyone's faces it's just like a, a sea of right especially if you're playing yeah. at night it, it is hard to actually make that connection and i actually always preferred the 
the club tours because I felt like you have more of a connectivity to the audience. So that was that was myself. But take me back to the beginning, if you don't mind, Matt. I mean, you obviously met the guys, I, I think, in a rendition of Hedwig and the Angry Inch. We spoke about that a little bit on the podcast. Take me back to how you, you, know, you guys met initially and how you remember connecting with them and then ultimately what came to be the band as it is today. Yeah, so um, I've actually known Peter since maybe 2000, 2001, just from the New York rock, rock and roll scene just around. Um, he had a band called Morningwood, mm. and my band was called Daddy at the time, and we used to kind of play together, and, and um, we always had like a mutual respect thing. Um, but then on the Hedwig show, we reconnected, and we just started jamming all the time. Um, we wrote a lot. We came up with a bunch of instrumentals. And Peter said, wouldn't it be cool to find a singer? I know this guy, Mike. Um, and I said, yeah. Um, now, was it casual, play. like, I know this guy, Mike, or had Michael already been Michael C. Hall from well, Six Feet Under? So, so Peter and Mike had been on Hedwig, and then I joined Hedwig as Mike was leaving Hedwig. I, I joined as um, co-music director, among other positions. And so, um, so Peter and I were jamming, and then he, he was having dinner with Mike. It wasn't like we were looking for a singer. And then Mike came down to hear the music one day and was like, hey, this is, um, this is cool. I might want to sing on it. Peter was like, do it. Then he sang on a song called Love American Style, which is on our first EP. And um, I think we were all blown away that it fits so well and it complemented it, it just felt perfect every you know the lyrics the melody felt perfect and um sort of from that point on we were like oh, okay this this is a three piece that really works you know we don't really feel like we need to add another player or anything it's like this is what we have here is a great core and um we just started writing together all three of us and just jamming you know mike would send us phone recordings we would turn them into songs um i would send little recordings and mike would write lyrics you know peter would send things and we would get together of course and we would just do it in the clubhouse where you were because initially you grew up playing like cello and guitar and obviously uh, keyboards but you know the guitar is an instrument we spoke about just a minute ago and, and how that plays into your music but was there ever a conscious effort to maybe even think about adding guitar into the music or is that something that you would consider doing later with the band? Absolutely would consider it. Absolutely consider it. I think in the beginning we were, we were actually going to not do guitar because we had all been in guitar bands uh, for years and, and we were like, let's try to not do guitar and see what happens. Having said that on the recordings, we will put guitar, you know, when we're in the studio because it's another texture and it's, we love it. So why not? Um, so yeah, ultimately one day it would be great to like have a guitar guy, you know, in the back shadows, you know, where no one can see him like playing all these really cool lines. Yeah, um, were you fans of like, uh, was Kraftwerk a band that you were into growing up or Depeche Mode or Ministry? Were there bands like that that really resonated with you? Is that sort of the idea to kind of take those influences and bring it to sort of like a modern age and what you were doing? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, loving Kraftwerk, Depeche Mode, Ministry, skinny puppy um nine inch nails obviously yeah all that stuff which is very synth driven and very hard synth and even you know the eurythmics and you know dave stewart and those synth lines are like brutal i mean you know you can hear the evolution there um and of course now you can do you can make a synth really sound like anything you could possibly the textures are endless definitely i went and saw a friend's band last night which i'm sure you know the kills and I mean, even a band like The Kills, it's so interesting. I mean, they obviously have no drummer. So, I mean, they're, you know, and that was one of the things that always set them apart for me. And I've seen them perform with a drummer and I've seen them perform without a drummer. And it's always interesting, like different iterations of bands and how they choose to, you know, instrumentation. And and, uh, and there's bands now like Royal Blood that are coming out, which are just basing drums, literally. But, but, uh, but an, an incredible group. But how's it like you're working with Blondie as an example and you're writing songs for Blondie, you're writing songs with Princess. Again, like talk to me about like the different processes with the different artists that you're working with and what this means for, you know, in terms of new music, you just talked about new music for Princess that you're creating. So how did the two artists, you know, differ in terms of, you know, your the writing process and the artists that you're working with? I think um, with Princess, it's, it's very much, we're um, very much a democracy. 
it's the three of us equal all on equal footing um and um we're we'll hear everyone out you know and it's beautiful i think um in blondie it's you know i'm honored to be a part of the band but ultimately at the end of the day it is um it's not my band you know i didn't form the band i'm not an original member and so um and they i love them and they've been you know very gracious to me and co-written with me and we release stuff which is which has been a huge honor but they um ultimately it's their band you know and i respect that and i love that so it is a great thing to be able to have princess and collaborate with mike and peter and um have this sort of mutual creative respect society going on yeah we talked about it for a moment it's interesting because i was actually went to your studio with peter and only in new york i was saying to matt that can you have a full-on drum set, you know, a whole band rehearsal room in an apartment in New York? Because, you know, back growing up, we used to have to go rent these rehearsal studios on Long Island or wherever it was. Oh, yeah. Obviously, in L.A., you have a ton of rehearsal studios. But in New York, there's a handful. I think there's SIR. But, but it's incredible that you actually built this studio, which is where you record most of the music, I believe. And Peter has his whole kit set up in there. You know, apparently there's a neighbor who's like a big fan of the band that comes over and is like reciting lyrics and um, I was her. chatting with Peter about it, just about the, the super fan that lives next door too. Yeah, yeah, Maria, Maria Luz. Yeah, she's the best. Um, yeah, we're we're really lucky to have that space. Granted, it is a V drum kit, which means it's um, it doesn't make sound. It's not like a, an acoustic drum kit. You need headphones to hear it, which is why you can have it in an apartment in Manhattan, in New York City. Um, that's a huge uh, huge plus that we have. We got that. But it's funny. I have the same one here, but it still manages to make enough noise where my neighbors are like, do you play drums? I'm like, either that or I'm tap dancing below you. It's definitely something going on for sure. Um, are you excited about new music coming out? Talk to me about the new music you guys are creating. We're super excited about it. Yeah, um, we have a whole album's worth of material that's all mixed and mastered, but we keep writing more. So um, it's that phenomenon when the latest thing you wrote is your favorite and, and you're just so excited about it which keeps happening. You know, we keep coming up with stuff and saying, wow, this is great. This has got to be on the record. So um, we're looking at early 23 for the new record. Awesome. And any great stories, you know, about working with Michael and Peter and, you know, days on the road with the band? Oh, man. I mean, just every, just every, every day is, um, every, every day feels like, an amazing experience on the road with those guys and um and it's it's magical and i'm lucky to be a part of it and the tour is coming up in july so talk to me a little bit about the tour because you're actually just getting ready to go out soon yes this is true yeah we're going to be hitting up the midwest we're going to detroit minneapolis chicago um then we're also going to Raleigh, north carolina um baltimore maryland so it's sort of like a kind of a couple of east coast and midwestern midwestern dates um what am i leaving out minneapolis yeah it's all it's all out there so come say hey come see us um we'll be there and we're definitely catch the band on tour i was lucky enough to check out the show at zebulon and silver lake with our buddy matt pinfield we said a quick hi but definitely when i'm back in new york we'll do some hanging i'll come see the next show 100 percent. it's great to see you i'm glad we could try and make Thanks. this work as a band and so uh Next time we'll be in person for sure. Thanks a lot, Scott. I really appreciate it, man. All right, my brother. I'll speak to you soon. Great. Take Thanks. care. See you soon. Bye. Bye.